Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. There are a lot of exciting developments and changes in the way that we learn in the workplace. And if you are a learning and development professional, this episode will help put your finger on the pulse of what are the trends and what's coming up in L&D this year. The Learning and Development Global Sentiment Survey takes the pulse of where workplace learning is headed this year, with thousands of L&D professionals from around the world answering the one key question, what will be hot in workplace L&D in 2022? For nine years, this survey has provided a unique overview of what is happening in workplace learning. And in this episode, I'm thrilled to have back on the podcast the person who founded and runs the Learning and Development Global Sentiment Survey. Donald Taylor is the chair of Learning and Technologies Conference in London, the leading workplace learning event in Europe, and one he has led for the last 20 years. He was also chairman of the Learning and Performance Institute from 2010 to 2021. Donald is the author of the book Learning Technologies in the Workplace and many articles. In 2007, he received the Colin Quarter Award for Services to Training and in 2016, an honorary doctorate from London's Middlesex University for the services in learning and development profession. Since 2014, Donald has run the Learning and Development Global Sentiment Survey, which has provided valuable insights to leaders of organizations and L&D professionals. It's a pleasure to have Don back on the podcast to discuss the results of the L&D Global Sentiment Survey for 2022. Thank you very much, Don, for coming back on the podcast. It's always great to be here, King. Well, I'm really looking forward to discussing this year's L&D Global Sentiment Survey and to see what are the trends in learning and development. First of all, before we get into some of the results, was there anything that surprised you for the outcomes this year? Nothing really surprised me, except that this year I saw the differences between different geographies and territories. And I think it's really important when we look at this survey results, which is three and a half thousand people from 112 countries. When we look at those results, to remember that's the view of the world, but it might not be your world if you're thinking about what you're doing. And different continents definitely vote differently. Different parts of continents vote differently. Western Europe is very different from Central Europe. And countries are different. Each company even has its own context so what i think this year brought home to me because we had a big showing from africa what that brought home to us that everywhere is different and this is a guide and it provokes questions but we shouldn't regard it as being some sort of winners and losers table there's certainly no right and wrong so always look at your context when you're thinking about what you should be doing Mm, absolutely that's such an important point to make with any kind of learning technologies Always look at the purpose of what you're wanting exactly. to use it for and the context yes. you're using it in. But uh, but this survey gives a fantastic insight onto what is happening in the field and where things are going. Can you tell me a little bit about the survey? It's uh, You've been running it since 2014, and it's a very unique survey that asks only one question, but it is very effective in highlighting the coming trends in L&D. So can you just give us a quick overview for those who are new to this survey? Sure. 
So the idea of the survey is just to get the pulse of the field. I have tried in the past running surveys where you get people's budgets and you look at what they're going to do this year and so on. There are a couple of problems here. Firstly, very often people don't have accurate information and there's a risk of getting information which people believe is accurate and because they've written it down, it has the gloss of certainty about it. But in fact, it's just somebody think, well, I, I think we've got this many people. I think we spend this much per person and so on. That's one problem. Another problem is that if you ask people, well, what would you like to do? Or what do you plan to do even this year? Very often with learning development, I found that people said they planned to do more of everything. And that's really no help at all. Yes. So I thought, well, look, if I can't rely on the figures, and if I'm not entirely sure that I want to ask people what they plan to do, why don't I just ask them how they feel about something? And it turns out there's a method in this, because if you ask them how they feel about it, what do you think is going to be hot is the question. And I give them a list of 15 things they can choose very quickly. So that gives you a pulse straight away. People don't think about it too much. They jump in, they answer it. And strangely enough, then patterns really do start to emerge, which are pretty consistent over time and across geographies. So it's not like one person, if it was one person, it wouldn't be very interesting. But when you get enough people together, it really starts to form a cohesive, coherent whole. Now, for a long time, I only had one question, but I think three years ago, I started introducing other questions. And so this year we had what will be hot, okay? A choice of 15 things plus other. But we also had where do you work? And they have a choice of six things for that, including other. And we also had what is your biggest challenge in learning and development this year? Now that is super interesting, the results. I'm always amazed. Most people don't, need to well nobody needs to answer anything more than that or something in that question box about reading some of them is actually almost heartbreaking because you get the sense that people are really up against it but it's a real great insight into what i know something like 1700 people across the world are doing in their daily lives in md wonderful well let's get into some of the results from this year you said there are four key takeaways on the survey so we'll we'll start going through those Last year, the results of the survey were very unique. The overwhelming response to what is hot in L&D in 2021 was reskilling, upskilling, uh, which was new on the list. And it had the greatest difference in terms of the number one and number two place that you have ever seen. And still, this is number one this year. So what have you found in terms of what is happening with this trend of reskilling and upskilling? I think it's important to remember why reskilling and upskilling was important last year which is that it sort of acted as a flag for people to to say i we are shifting what we're doing and we are taking a new approach so it was a way of people spelling out what they were doing that was different the reason people i think chose the particular phrase reskilling and upskilling was that it had been in circulation since about the beginning of 2019 mm -hmm. initially to do with ai and well, we have to reskill people for the new world of work but then it changed during the pandemic, it became, well, we need to reskill people because we're facing a world where people will be having to do different jobs and possibly working in a different way. So there's a very good coherent reason for doing it. But there's another reason why people pick that phrase, which is what I call the ambient wordscape, which is my made up phrase to indicate that if you ask people to choose from a list, they're going to choose some stuff that's in their mind and stuff that's floating around them and they're familiar with. And those phrases have been steadily increasing in use 
for about two years and they're everywhere. So you can't avoid them. And if you're thinking about what is it we do, you're likely to pick that phrase. Having said that, it doesn't mean people are choosing it at random because there are very, very real programs that people are doing now and will be doing for at least a couple of years to do with reskilling people. So getting people to move from one job to another and upskilling, giving them more skills for their current job. So there's no doubt that it represents a reason why people are doing stuff. The rest of the list is really a how. Well, how about how do we go about achieving it? So there's a there's a bit of a difference there. It's very interesting. There's one that one coherent thing across the uh, across the group. Although this year it was down half a percent on last year's the the, the top total. It was thirteen percent last year. This year it was twelve point five percent. And not everybody agreed. So last year all the work groups agreed that it was the most important thing. This year education put it second. Last year, Brazil and South America, I say Brazil and South America because Brazil dominated South America's vote, put it um, second. And that was the same again this year for them. But also this year, it very nearly fell into second place in Australia and New Zealand. So there's a sense that it's still important, but it's not quite as important as it was. I think people are concentrating now on some other things. I wonder also, because with the very quickly changing technologies, which will always Mm. be the case, is reskilling and upskilling maybe going to fall because it becomes much more intuitive? It is what we do because we're constantly having to reskill. So do you think that might have attributed a little bit to the drop? I'm not sure there's enough in there to, to, to attribute that. I'm not sure it's now becoming so much business as usual. I mean, the truth is that every option on the list goes through the same pattern, which is you you put it on there. If if I've chosen the right thing, it's something which is about to become interesting. It increases in interest and then it falls away. The question, remember, is what's hot? Well, things don't stay hot forever. They they fall away in time. I think it's more that it's still hot. People are genuinely doing it. I don't believe that it's become business as usual. If you look at mobile delivery, which was number one in 2014 when I started, and it's now right at the bottom of the table, it's business as usual. Nobody's surprised to do stuff on mobile. Uh, we're a long way from reskilling and upskilling to be there. It may be number one next year. I'd be surprised, and I don't normally make predictions, but I'd be surprised if it was number one in two years' time because I think that it will have become not so much stuff that we're doing well, but stuff that we are expected to do and has become part of the furniture. So I suspect that may be what happens in a couple of years' time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so one of the key takeaways you have from this year is that there seems to have been a move away from technologies such as AI, learning analytics, and personalized or adaptive learning, and a move more towards personal interactions such as social learning and coaching, which is interesting, especially during this time when so many people have been on online interacting virtually. So what, what have you found? What is this telling you? Okay, so what I've found is the numbers. Uh, The rest of it is my speculation. We should always be careful when people, uh, well, we should always at least draw a line between the two. I I hope I've got something valuable to add, but at the same time, it's my interpretation of the numbers. So I think just looking at this year against last year, it's very difficult to see that there's a big shift because, yes, it's true that collaborative learning is more popular this year than last and coaching and mentoring is the same. But, and it's also true that learning analytics and learning experience platforms and artificial intelligence all fell away. But is that enough, really? Um, no, probably not. But if you go back two years, absolutely. Two years ago, those options were all in the top five that I just mentioned. Now, analytics, LXPs, artificial intelligence, they're all, well, the only one that's still in the top five is, is learning analytics. Mm-hmm. The rest of them are all falling away. There's definitely a longer term trend there. 
And the average of the vote for those three options, the technical ones, really fell away from an average of 9.6 to 6.3. So it's more than 3% drop. That's huge. Uh, and given that everything tends to fall away, you'd expect that, but that's falling faster. For things to go up the table consistently, especially something that's been there for a long time, like collaborative and social learning, does indicate that a trend is being bucked. Now, coaching and mentoring came in two years ago. That's gone up each year. Collaborative and social learning was on the way down in terms of the absolute number of votes, and that's gone up for the past two years. So it does suggest if you take a two-year rather than a one-year view that, in fact, something has happened. But I wouldn't want to say that this is a rallying to the humanization of learning. Now, it may be that we do want more human contact. I'm not entirely sure, though, that that's what's applying here, because the coaching and mentoring that I'm seeing out there, which is exploding, is coaching and mentoring that is supported by technology. It doesn't mean necessarily you're working with a robot coach. That's possible, but problematic. But typically, you've got a human coach, you get the interaction, but the rest of it is surrounded by a field of technology that means the person can concentrate on doing their coaching well. Collaborative and social is the same. You've got people who are now collaborating and, and learning from each other much better, but also it's surrounded by the right platform. So I, I think I said in the blog, that it's not a matter of people or technology, it's people and technology working together. Absolutely. It's possible that driving it though is, you're right, is the sense that we want more human contact. And maybe we think we can take the technological stuff for granted now. It's it's becoming more part of the furniture. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I think both of those are, are really important points because also when I read this in your, in your report, I thought it was really interesting because there's been so much coming out lately about loneliness at work, yeah. about... Yeah attrition and not being able to pass on institutional knowledge. So all of that requires humans to connect and to build the community, to build the cohesion and to pass on knowledge to the person coming after them. So that was quite reflected in the results that you got as well. But I think you're completely right in the sense that the technology is facilitating that to make it yeah. better. And sometimes the people are putting in place some excellent practices using social and collaborative learning to get people to share stuff precisely to get around not get around but to try to beat this problem of knowledge disappearing from companies when people leave or just having knowledge silos because a lot of the great stuff in organizations is tacit knowledge in people's heads and honestly the best way of getting that out and sharing it is almost certainly through social networks when it's done yes. well so city a great example of a company that's doing that well. AstraZeneca is doing the same sort of thing. We're seeing programs now where people are being encouraged to share particularly valuable information. It's very different from your old learning and development, which is create and distribute materials. This is much more about sharing tacit knowledge. Done well, it's extraordinarily valuable. So I'm, I'm hoping that what we're seeing at the table is reflecting some great practices out there. And what did you notice in terms of how are they encouraging people to share their knowledge? What is being effective? Well, yeah, I'm thinking about Anka Idake, who's um, in charge of this project at City, and she she talks about getting people to go through a regular program of having a target each day of sharing some stuff for a particular reason with uh, a particular cohort of people. So it's it it sounds so simple, but the key thing is to get people's buy-in for it. Mm -hmm. If you get people's buy-in for it, and the management's buy-in for it, and it's all part of a general project around sharing knowledge, and everyone can see the value of it then you begin developing the habit with people. Once the habit is developed, time and again, we've seen that if you get people to do it for 30 days, it will continue. Well, not everyone's going to keep doing it every day, but they'll continue to do it most of the time. 
what you've developed is you've got the water going through the siphon and now it's going by on its own accord. The stream of knowledge is flowing through once you get it pumped. So that's a weird role for L&D to be playing, but it's exactly what we should be doing, helping people share knowledge because that's the lifeblood of the organization. Mm, absolutely. Extremely important. And I know we've talked about this in the past and I found it in my in my research quite a while ago that without bringing people together to share their knowledge, to share their experiences, mm. all of the other good things seem to fall apart. So I'm so thrilled that this is happening more and more. And as you said, it's simple. It's It doesn't have to be complicated. It's it just a matter of- It doesn't even need very complicated technology. Yes. What it does need, it's a good relationship with the business and the ability yes. to say to people, hey, let's get this done. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I, I've got a track record I can show you, it's, it's valuable. And the thing I found when I was writing my book, Learning Technologies in the Workplace, is that, and that surprised me, is that the people who were successful in implementing a good learning program or particularly learning technology program, very often, not always, but very, very often, had one common fact which they weren't aware of, which was that they'd been in that business or in that organization for a number of years, meaning that they had built up social standing, they built up credibility, they built up a network. They were then able to go and take that and help the change management work. And indeed, that's exactly the case for Anki Iodake at City. She's been there for uh, a long time. And so she knows the people she needs and she understands the business, the way it talks. She can talk to it in the right language. Strong knowledge of the business and also strong connection to people. Absolutely. It makes Absolutely. all the difference in the world time and time again. So in the survey, L&D professionals who completed the survey really come from all around the world, all corners mm-hmm. of the world. And you said that the results indicate that geography matters. So what yeah. do you mean by that? You touched on it a little bit, I think, before. But... Some, yeah, some, it's, it's extraordinary how you wouldn't necessarily think it, but there are some things which are repeated patterns year after year. So the Irish are always very keen on coaching and mentoring. Uh, it, it's always number one and number two on the list. And I say to them, well, why? Because I very, I, I will do regional reviews of it. And I say to them, why, why is this? I said, Donald, we just, we love to talk. And of course, they're taking <laughs> the mick out of themselves. But it's absolutely the case. If you're on a Zoom call in, in Ireland, you'll find very often there, it, it's a different atmosphere. There's a lot more conversation at the beginning. And uh, there's a very strong tradition of coaching and mentoring in Ireland. Okay. It's also very high. Uh, collaborative learning is very high in Sweden, always. Why? Because in Sweden and in other countries in, in the north of Europe, uh, there are there's a strong tradition around something like folks building. I'm sorry if I haven't pronounced that correctly, but it's the idea of continued education after work by everybody helping each other. And that is a cultural thing, like in Ireland. Uh, now, I, I can't explain everything. I can't explain why in, in Africa there is, uh, and, and we have to be careful because Africa is a, a huge continent and it includes not all the countries voted the same way, but in Africa, generally, the vote for collaborative learning was six and a half percent above the vote for personalization. That was just one year, but it was pretty consistent in in some of the countries, and some of the countries stood out as as not having that trend at all. Brazil this year was the same. Collaborative was way ahead of personalization, 7.2 percent. But consistently, year after year, in India and North America, they rank personalization above collaboration. I don't know why. I mean, you can make, you can speculate. Well, America is a more individualistic society. Other countries are more collaborative. It, it's speculation. I'm not sure that we could really hang our, hang our hats on that because North America may be an individualist, individualistic society, but India isn't. I mean, India's got a, a very strong communal society so i'm wary of trying to speculate too much as the reasons for it sometimes you can point to it like with sweden but 
the fact is that year after year, these trends are repeated. And, and the, the key thing is to remember that, as I said earlier, what happens in your context is what matters. It, just because somebody else is doing something differently in the other part of the world, just because in New Zealand they love coaching and in Australia they love showing value, in South Africa it's mobile delivery, in Nigeria it's virtual reality, just because it's different elsewhere in the world, what matters to you? That's what's, what, that's what's important. Yes, and it's important to realize that what works for you in your context may not be working in a different context in a different country to always really keep an open mind. Well, I think that's really important. You know, if you're doing a, a global rollout or initiative, it's seen again and again, you've got to have people on the ground that you can trust that are local people that understand everything that's going on and will help you understand why what works in Poland won't work in Peru. Mm -hmm. um, because you're only going to find out by talking to people about it. And if you try rolling it out and it doesn't work, then you've lost your chance to make a good impression. You're going to have to dig yourself out of a hole. Yeah, absolutely. So what I'm sure is not surprising to anyone listening is that you found that the pandemic has a long shadow on the field of yeah. L&D, as I'm sure for absolutely for a lot of other fields. But what did you mean by this? How did you find that it had a long shadow? Well, the, the question that I asked people, what's your challenge this year, really brought out a rich vein of strong anecdotal data, which suggests that although we have this grand goal of reskilling and upskilling, although we really want to do the best for our organizations and we want to you know, do stuff in a large strategic level, when it comes down to it, the stuff, and, and that's largely driven by the pandemic, this need to reskill and upskill and, and do things differently. It's also left us with a hangover of things that are making it very difficult for us to achieve that. I asked this question, I went through all the answers, I put the 17,000 answers, or about 80% of them, I couldn't categorise all of them, but I categorised most of them into about 14 different categories. Of those five account for two thirds of the responses. The things that are stopping people or things that are going to be a challenge this year are budget and resources. Number two, stakeholder enthusiasm. Number three, going hybrid or staying hybrid. Number four, actually being able to implement stuff, that's technology and the mindset around it, and finally engagement of learners. And engagement of learners or employees was the biggest single blocker, according to the numbers. It, was, it wasn't huge, but it was something like 15% of it rather than the others being around the 10% mark. Hmm. So the biggest thing that was stopping engagement was the overexposure to doing stuff online. It, the phrase people are using was, Zoom fatigue on one hand. And on the other hand, the blocker was people are super busy and they can't make time. And that's because of the, of the pandemic. So almost all of these things, apart possibly from stakeholder enthusiasm, which has been a perpetual problem for L&D, almost all of these things stem from the pandemic. So it set us this goal, go out, reskill. This is the way we've got to make things different for the organization in the future. At the same time, it's pulled the rug from underneath learning and development by saying, by the way, you're not going to get the money, the enthusiasm, the technology, uh, the engagement, probably not the uh, ability to go and stay hybrid either uh, without a lot of work. And the first of those, the budget and the resources was something I wasn't expecting, but clearly people haven't got enough money to do the job. And they don't necessarily have the people either. There was a lot, a lot of feedback saying, I need to reskill my team and it's, it's proving tougher than I thought because people need new skills, data analytics, or they've got people coming into the team from outside. Uh, one comment talked about a bunch of cooks coming in who are now going to do L&D. And these cooks had to be given the skills for the job. Well, 
that's starting back from square one when really you want your whole team much further advanced and going forward. So that's what I mean when I say there's a long shadow. There's an awful lot of work to be done to achieve the goals which are necessary because of the pandemic. It's an absolutely massive, massive challenge. And this is really amplifying the very scenario that so many organizations have always found themselves in where for some reason there's there's a squeeze on resources, there's mm. some kind of a, an emergency, some kind of a pressure when you would absolutely need good L&D the most for you to get through the crisis. But those are the times that organizations have always held back funds from L&D and time, time and funds, yeah. and people are just too overwhelmed to focus on it when they actually need it the most. And Certainly the pandemic has taken this to a whole new scale. So I know the survey can't really speak to this, but your extensive experience in this field, what would you hope that people, organizations do and people do to not get stuck in that same old situation of in a crisis, they don't focus on L&D when actually that was the most important thing to get out of a crisis? I think the way to get around that is for learning development to be strongly tied and integrated with the operations of the business so that it's not seen as being a superfluous or additional thing, but something which is an an integral part of the way the business works in a way that you wouldn't get rid of your, in the old days, you wouldn't get rid of your car fleet just because you had a downturn, because your salespeople still needed to get in and drive to go and see people. Learning and development has to be as integral as that. And that's not something that's easy to do, but neither is it impossible. It comes ultimately from taking the mindset that we are here to support performance, not the default for learning development, which tends to be we are here to create and distribute content. So mm-hmm. if, we, if we say we're here to support performance, and the first thing is, well, let's go out and find out what makes good and bad performance and what the challenges are to supporting it. And in those conversations and in doing the work around it, we build the relationships with the business that enables them to say, well, we, we couldn't live without having these people here. Now, a lot of people say, well, what would happen if you turned off your LMS? You know, nobody would notice. And indeed, in many organizations, that's the case. But I know one organization where uh, it was a, an organization of mortgage slash financial advisors who got their training, their resources, everything they needed to do their jobs through the LMS. It was an entirely distributed thing. So these people were not on the payroll. They were consultants. Well, the LMS went down for this organization. And within an hour, the phone was ringing off the hook with these people phoning and saying, where is this stuff? (laughs) Why? Because they needed it to do their job. And that's the level of integration that we need to have with the business. Yes, it's a, it's certainly a different way of looking at and designing learning into an organization, which those who have been advocating and, and really speaking for creating learning organizations, this is exactly what they wrote about, so that it's not painful when you are in a crisis, it's already helping you to, to learn. And it should be, it. absolutely. And the question, is, the question is not how do we cut the cost, but what are we going to get you to do to focus on developing on getting the performance up so we can get out yes. of the crisis, exactly. Right, so focusing on getting performance up and supporting performance, designing yeah. that way. Fantastic. So the full report of the LND Global Sentiment Survey is expected to be re- released very soon. And I think by the time that this podcast is released, <laughs> it may actually be, be out for people to dig through the numbers. No pressure, no pressure. <laughs> yes, that's the, aim. that's the aim. All right, well, when it is, it will uh, we'll definitely post it and distribute it as well. 
Um, it's a fantastic read and, and really interesting always to go through the numbers and the details of, of what you found. So in terms of the report, in terms of the information in it, how do you hope that people will use the information in the Global Sentiment Survey and what actions do you hope they will take? The survey always provides information, but it tends to provoke more questions than it provides answers. Mm -hmm. And that's good. It's a way of stimulating conversation. So I would hope people would take this and go and talk to their L&D team, if they're in a large organization, or with their peers elsewhere and say, well, what do you think this means to you? Do you agree with this? Why do you think that's wrong? And it can spark a conversation, which can then lead on to other things. And the right thing that it should lead on to will depend, again, on the context that you're in, in your particular organization. The key thing that I want people to remember is that they're not alone. There are lots of people out there in the same quite, quite tricky spot here mm -hmm. of having a lot demanded of them and wanting to achieve a lot, but not having the resources to, to get to that point. I want to remember they're not alone and that if we work together, we're much more likely to succeed in doing it. So please, if you're not able to get this done, reach out, find fellow peers, uh, get in touch with me on LinkedIn, and we'll find a way of getting some support to you. So if you've got some ideas and help you get to your destination, that's the one thing that people shouldn't feel alone. But the other thing that we've touched on before is this focus on performance. We know that reskilling and upskilling is about helping the organization do better in the future, which is very interesting. And it's something we think we should be focused on. It doesn't happen by itself. It doesn't happen just by doing training programs. It happens at the end of a conversation with the business about what's required. Once we get that, then we know how to re or upskill people. So I'm hoping that that one at the top of the table for the second year, reskilling and upskilling, will be an impetus for people to go out and have deeper, stronger conversations with the business that involve really listening and finding out what makes it tick and where the performance needs are. Mm -hmm. Those are really fantastic pieces of advice because firstly, as you said, it is a very challenging time and for mm. it's challenging for anybody and everybody to really make LND help the business and create LND that is really effective uh, with the limited resources and time available. So coming together and having support from others is perfect advice. And as you said, I mean, really connecting with the business. Sometimes we do see that it's disconnected L&D and the business more than ever before. It's so important to connect. So really great pieces of advice. Thank you. After going through this survey and of course, you know, and everything else that you're, you're doing, what are you most excited about in terms of what's coming up in the L&D space? What should people be keeping an eye on? Well, at number six on the table, we have skills-based talent management. That's the only new option this year. Next year, there'll likely be two new options. It's exciting, and it holds a great promise for the future, not just for learning and development, but for HR, operations, anybody involved with trying to get the right person in the right job at the right time. The promise is that skills become the language of the business, helping us understand and communicate between individuals, with candidates, between managers, between learning and HR, everybody, in a way that enables us to understand where are we strong and weak in terms of our capability. The idea of learning and development focusing on capability for the future, I think, is enormous, and, and potentially it's where we should be going. My concern is twofold. Firstly, do we have the skills and the mindset in L&D to do that effectively? I'm not convinced everybody does, and it will take some work to get there. 
The second is that the technologies which are enabling this to happen, skills-based talent management platforms, rely on AI, they rely on uh, algorithms, and we don't know necessarily how accurate and effective these are yet. Certainly they're better than nothing, provided they do a decent job, but my concern is they may be oversold. So people may get these platforms hoping for something that's going to transform their work, and that may not get delivered. And what should be a fabulous prize, this idea of a common language of skills in the business to describe how we develop and get people, roles, and candidates ready for the organization to deliver its promises in the future, that great prize may be regarded as being something not worth pursuing because the technology doesn't quite match up to the grand claims. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping, because I'm very excited about it, that skills-based talent management lives up to its very great promise. Mm, interesting. There's a lot, a lot of important things to unpack in that for people to think about. That's fantastic. Thank you. So in terms of what's new in learning technologies, also the Learning Technologies Conference in London is going to be taking place on the 4th and 5th of May of 2022. This is an absolutely massive conference and actually the largest European, it's the Europe's leading showcase of organizational learning and technologies. So can you tell me what do you see as the exciting technologies coming out at this year? I never like to, to pinpoint one technology over the other because it's a, it's a bit invidious. I can't mm-hmm. I can't have favourites. No. Um, I think that the I, I think that the skills based talent management stuff is very interesting, as I say. Yes. But also the coaching and mentoring technologies, which have have sort of been, I think, for some reason in the background, but I think they're about to break through because the issue with coaching has always been that it's been an elite sport, only available for the higher echelons of the organisation that can afford it. The promise of the technology-supported coaching and mentoring idea is that it becomes something which is available to everybody in the organization. If you can get that right, and we know how effective good coaching can be, then that's another way of transforming the way people perform at work. So I'm very excited about that in particular. Also, I want to give a shout out to virtual and augmented reality, particularly virtual reality. Now, look, that's fallen down the table and people might say oh well it's had its day no when something falls down the table like mobile deliveries we talked about it earlier that means that it's either become something which is business as usual or it's something which people have decided is impossible to use Mm -hmm. i'm seeing every indication that virtual reality is about to absolutely hit its stride because it is something that does a job in a way that nobody nothing else can Yes. And it's not just about physical tasks. It's about soft skills as well. It's not just about uh, having to use an awful lot of very cumbersome kit. The way the kit has evolved in the past two to three years is extraordinary. It doesn't take a lot of setup. And the skills base for designing content is now much more widely spread. So a lot of things have come together to mean that virtual reality is in a good position. And the final thing that's come together, it's a combination of the pandemic and people being used to doing stuff online and gaming. It's all exploded so much that people don't think twice about slipping into another world to do something. I think that's going to be probably the ultimate game changer. That means that we expect to see a lot more VR in 2022 and beyond. 
Very interesting. Yes. Lots of interesting things to keep an eye out and see how it's developing and, and pay more attention to it. So that's great. So for anybody who can attend uh, or would like to attend the conference, what are some ways that they can connect and, and attend? What can they expect? Importantly, of course, it's a conference and it is the exhibition. The exhibition's free. The conference isn't. So um, the best thing to do is come along and go to learningtechnologies.co.uk and check out the website and you'll get all your options there if you can do it the videos of the conference are all posted online afterwards but it takes a bit of time to get them set up so if you can't afford to attend the conference you can get hold of the actual sessions afterwards about four to six weeks afterwards typically great thank you and the links for that and the global sentiment survey and a lot more are, are going to be in the show notes so people can certainly access it there fabulous fabulous well this is fantastic it's always such a pleasure to talk to you and get really interesting insights on the world of lnd and your extensive knowledge on the field so it's always really interesting to find out what's new what we should be paying attention to and uh, thank you so much for sharing that this year again Always a delight, Kinga. Always a delight. Great to be speaking with you. Thank you.